Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. Ho, 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 howdy, ho, ho. Manuia Christmasi is how we say it in Samoa. I learned this morning from an Italian lady. Apparently, one Italian means it in Italian. That's, uh, that's what I got told. But Merry Christmas. And, and I was very optimistic of Nick to say it was going to be a short message. Uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll aim for that because we don't want to be here for too long listening to me. Um, but good morning. Good morning. Okay, I'll start off with a, a very. I went. So I was. I was at a. Uh, I was at prison, uh, just recently doing a gospel talk. If we're talking about Christmas, that's 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 a little bit racist, there, brother. Okay, I was at prison. I was at a prison, and I was doing doing a um, doing a little bit of a gospel talk. And the question that I asked the guys, uh, I told them a little bit of a story. And for those that know the story, uh, my wife and I, how we got together, how my wife approached me when we were dating. What we weren't even dating. She came up to me and she said to me, "I like you," and I said, "Yeah, man, I like you too, man. I like you too." <laughs> And, and then she says, no, no, I, I like you, like you. And I'm like, oh. Because no female's ever done that to me before. No, no one's ever said, like, I like you, like you. And I'm like, wow, wow. And my, my smooth, manly response was, thank you. And then I walked away. And so, and, and, but see, what I didn't know was that during that time, she was, she, was, she was pursuing me. She was pursuing me. And I told this story to the guys at the prison. And then I said to the guys at the prison, I asked them, I says, uh, <laughs> have you ever been chased? And the boys, the boys go, yeah, by cops. <laughs> I says, yeah. And I says, ah, so they were chased and they were caught. And so we had a bit of a laugh over that. But then I added to them uh, like a caveat and I says to them, uh, but have you ever been chased by love? Have you ever been chased for love? And the guys stopped there and thought about it. And I says, not the sort of love, how you can get that real creepy, obsessive type thing. Not that sort of love. But the love that demonstrates a, a benevolence, a, a compassion, uh, the self-sacrificing agape love, that supernatural love of where, where it's just everything is given for the benefit of someone else, that supernatural agape love. Have you ever experienced that sort of love? And every single person in that room, not only the inmates, but all the other guys as well, was like, well, yeah, not really, not, not really. Like you can, you get a little bit of, you get a taste of it from your parents in, in a functional, in a, in a well sort of rounded home. You get a taste of it from, you know, maybe a spouse even. Uh, but but the, the sort of love that gives its all without expecting anything in return, that sort of love, that divine supernatural love, everybody at that particular session said, no, no, we haven't. Uh, the thing is, that love has been demonstrated to us. That love has been expressed toward us. And like me and my wife, um, when she told me she liked me and I had no clue whatsoever, more often than not, we as people don't have the ability to recognize such love when it's demonstrated toward us. We fail to see it. And we fail to see it continually. And, and this is what Christmas represents. Now, oh, look, I'm going to aim for half an hour. Where's Ash? Ash? Ash is my timekeeper. He's been my timekeeper for a while now, and I appreciate for your work. That's why, if you've noticed, for those who are new here, I usually talk around 50 minutes, but Ash has been kept keeping me down to about 40 to 43 minutes. So if we could just give Ash a round of applause, please. That's, thank you. Thank you very much, Ash. I appreciate that immensely. Okay, so we're going to look at one more aspect of the Christmas story. See, so far in the past four weeks, we've looked at, and Nick made mention to this, how the Christmas story isn't about the gifts, how the Christmas story isn't about time off work, the Christmas story isn't about um, you know, even just family time in and of itself, but rather the biblical 
the biblical version or the biblical story that's given to us within the Bible is about repair, repairing what we broke because we wanted what we wanted. It's the reconciliation, the bringing together again of a relationship, the reestablishing of a friendship that we broke off that we wanted what we wanted, to redeem, which Jono shared about, and redeeming is about purchasing from something to something else. And the Bible talks about it, how we are redeemed from the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of darkness, to the kingdom of his dear son, the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And we looked at then the restoration, the restoration of what we were designed to be, of what God originally attended. But there's one more aspect of the Christmas story that I really like And I think it's natural outworking if you've come to understand a little bit of what these things mean and what God means. Well, no, let me rephrase that. What you mean to God. And that is of the area of thanksgiving. The idea of giving thanks. How many people here are born between the years of 1981 and 1996? Raise your hand. Okay, okay. From what I understand and what I've Googled, you are what are classed as millennials. I know. You're those irritating people. <laughs> sorry, sorry. No, forgive me, forgive me. I'm not going to dog on you millennials because like, I, always, I always hear things about not just millennials but the ones after it. Aiden, how you going, man? Okay. Not just millennials but the ones after millennials where people always complain. Oh, they're, they're, they're so ungrateful. Oh, they're so, they're so selfish. Oh, they don't use manners or, or this, that, and the other. Now, whilst I agree to a point regarding that sort of identification, that definition of what a millennial is, and the people after it, I blame, I blame my generation for that. Why? I was, still, I was talking with my kids. I have some millennial kids, but they're, they're not like your typical millennial kids because I beat them. Um, that, that was a joke. That was a joke. Okay, that was, was a joke. Okay, please. If you're listening online, that was a joke. I'm sorry. Okay, but, okay, but, no, so, so my, I was talking with my kids, and I said to my kids, I hold myself culpable for a lot of that attitude. Why? Because my generation and the values that we hold to, we didn't really communicate to the next generation. And this is reflective of our nature as people, how we go from one extreme to the next. We go from one extreme where we're really restrictive and we're conservative and we're like bang, bang, bang. And then people, we, we combat that and then go right to the other extreme and says, ah, I want to do anything I want, do whenever I want, however I want. And we just go right to the other extreme. And, and we, we fail to have this balance. And the reason why we fail to have this balance is because who we are by nature. And the Bible talks about this, that our nature, we are by nature sinners. We are by nature selfish. We are by nature self-absorbed. Like I said, we want what we want, hence the necessity for the reparation, the reconciliation, the redemption, and the restoration of who we are as individuals. We are incapable of doing that ourselves. And so what I want to do is actually look at something which I think is really important when I come to this idea of thanksgiving. It is not the regards our thanksgiving and our attitudes toward each other, but rather our attitude of thanksgiving toward God and what He has done for us. Our attitude toward God and what He has given us. This whole idea of Christmas is, and I'll share it every week we've talked about this. I've shared it every week. The whole idea about Christmas is the extent that God is willing to go to to show how much He loves you and what He was willing to do and is willing to do to bring you to Himself and call you my son and my daughter. So I'm going to look at a passage which is not very Christmassy. It's found in the Gospel of Luke. It's actually Luke chapter 17. 
If you have your Bibles turned there, there won't be sort of too much up there, but Luke 17 is a very, very interesting uh, passage because the passage itself has nothing to do with Christmas, but an attitude and preferably a lesson we can learn from ourselves with the 35-odd minutes we have left. So if you just want to join me in prayer, and we'll look at the Word together. Father, we thank you so much for your Word. We thank you the extent of your love that was willing to veil yourself in human flesh in order for us to be delivered, then for us to be redeemed, for us to be reconciled, repaired, and restored to a right relationship with you through Jesus Christ. We pray now, Lord, that you will open our eyes to see not only you and the greatness of your love, but see how much that love was demonstrated at this time in Christmas. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, in Luke chapter 17, Jesus is teaching a whole bunch of people. In the verses 1 to 5, he teaches about repentance, about confession, and about forgiveness. And then he carries on in his teaching, and then he continues to teach about faith, duty, and responsibility. And as in this time, from verses 11 to 19, we have this encounter that Jesus has while he's, whilst he's traveling, and he comes across a group of people. And this group of people, which I find quite fascinating because of what takes place in this interaction. I'm going to read verses, seven, uh, verses 11 to 19, and then I'll work our way through it. I'm reading from the NIV. It starts off like this. Jesus, oh sorry, now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee as he was going into a village. Ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, we're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you whole. So um, for those who don't know, uh, lepers were considered outcasts. Lepers, they, they lived on the fringes of society. You, you walked. So if Chris was a leper, which you're not, but if Chris was a leper and he walked past me and I crossed his path, then I ceremonially, I'd have to go and wash myself, to cleanse myself ceremonially. If Chris walked in and we were Hebrews, we were Israelites, Chris walked in as a leper, we would all scream at him, unclean, 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 and we'd throw stuff at him, get out, get out. Why? Because for fear of what was going to take place. Okay, That was the whole idea of, of leprosy. Now, the fact he walks into a village and these 10 lepers, I am I'm sort of... I'm speculating here, I'm not going to hide that, I'm speculating here, on the border of um, Samaria and Galilee, he walks into this village, 10 lepers approach him. These 10 lepers, I wouldn't be surprised if he entered into a leper colony, but these 10 lepers, and they do something that reflects not only their attitudes, but their expectations of what they want from Jesus, and in the response to what happens to them, reveals what they truly wanted in the long run, because that's what we read in the first couple of verses. Now, I'm just going to touch on that. Like I said, we only have a short time. But as in verses 12 and 13, I want us to start off with. Because you see what they do. We read, they stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. These 10 men 
stood at a distance. I want you to take note of that. They stood at a distance. Jesus didn't separate himself. They separated themselves from him. They kept themselves at a distance. And this is what I find fascinating about people today. People like to keep their distance from the things of God, from the people of God, from God himself. And they'll come up with 101 reasons as to why they do that. Oh, I, I don't want to follow God because I think he's unfair. Why do you think he's unfair? Because people who don't hear about Jesus, they go to hell. Well, hang on a sec. Let, let, let's talk about it. You said, do you want to talk about this? And they usually know I want to hold to what I want to hold to. Okay. All right. And then, then say so they don't want to know. They stand at a distance. People will sit there and say, oh, I think God is unfair because he hates homosexuals. That's what you hear people say. And you ask them, and you say, well, why do you say that? Well, you know, because of what God, the Bible says about homosexuality. I say, hey, do you know what the Bible says about homosexuality? No. Okay, do you, do you want to discuss this? No, I don't want to, I want to hold to what I want to hold to. And they hold to that. Oh, I think God is unfair. Why? Because of all the natural disasters where innocent people die. Do you want to discuss that? No, no, because I want to hold to what I want to hold to. This is what people do. They stand at a distance. And that's what these 10 lepers do. And it's not that Jesus kept himself away. They kept themselves away for whatever reason. Their reason might be, well, cultural standards of the day say that uh, we're not supposed to be around people that are, that are healthy, so we'll stay. Maybe that's the case. Maybe they were fearful that if they asked Jesus for something, they might reject him. Maybe they were fearful that if they go there and say, hey, master, have pity on us, Jesus says no. Maybe that could have been it. Whatever the case may be, they chose to do what they wanted to do in regards to how they interact with Jesus. Now, I don't know what your situation is, and I don't know how you view Jesus. I don't know what your view on Christmas is. I don't know how you, how you understand the love of God towards you. But my, my, I guess my suggestion or my warning is don't stand at a distance. Don't stand at a distance. Don't go off by what other people say. Don't listen to what the Simpsons say because you know, a lot of people go off what the Simpsons say. Don't go just even off what your parents say. Even for myself, my kids, I said to my parents, I said to my parents, I said to my kids, like if you want to know, find out, ask, ask. Don't be afraid to ask. Um, Alex Stark, Alex Stark, when he said he was a deep thinker, but not a good thinker. A lot of people are deep thinkers, but they're not good thinkers. And so don't be, don't be like that, okay? You want to be a good and a deep thinker. So you've got these 10 guys, and I want you to compare these guys here. What do these guys do? These guys, firstly, one, they stand at a distance. You compare what these guys do to what the leper does in Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 to 4. If you've got your Bibles, turn very quickly there. I'm, I'm rushing as quickly as I can. Take my time? All right. If you could turn to uh, Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 to 4. Okay, Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 to 4. Here we go. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. Get that. A large crowd followed him. A man with leprosy came. Hang on a sec. There's a large crowd, and yet a man with leprosy came, knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched that man, saying, I'm willing, be clean. Immediately he was healed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to him. Now, look at this. You've got 10 guys, 10 guys. You've got, again, you've got this posse. They're sitting there. They're standing at a distance. Jesus, master, have pity on us. Then you've got this other guy surrounded by people. And he, he, would look, he comes to Jesus' feet and says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Look at the two differences in attitude. 
The one guy in Matthew chapter 8 didn't care about the people that were surrounding him. The, pe- the guy in Matthew chapter 8 wasn't concerned with other people's opinions, wasn't concerned about what people felt, what people thought. All he was concerned with was being at the feet of Jesus. That's all he was concerned about. That consumed him. And because that consumed him, he, he did away with the disdain of what other people said. He did away with the, the disrespect that other people had. He did away with the, the glances. You know, those, have you seen people do those looks? When you walk in and somebody's like, they're frustrated with you and stuff like that, and they're like, oh. some of you did that just now, okay? But anyway, you, know, you see, you see you know, he didn't care about those. All he wanted to do was, I need to get to Jesus. And that's what consumed him. Compare that to the 10 guys who stand there and cry out. Massive, massive difference. So you see that, came down, leprosy, knelt before him, all right? So these guys call out, Jesus, Master. Notice once again, they're standing at a distance and they call out. Compare that to Matthew chapter 8. The leper comes down humbly. He throws himself in a position of humility, of servitude, of submission, and says, Lord, if you're willing. He didn't doubt that Jesus could heal him. He didn't doubt that. He merely asked, if you're willing, can you? These guys were throwing out. Even that. Uh, was it Matthew? Matthew chapter 8? Uh, okay, I think it's in Matthew 28, I think it is. Um, or Matthew 26. Where Peter, there's a difference between when Peter follows Jesus from a distance. And once again, this is, this is the same idea with these 10 lepers. You read when Jesus was arrested that Peter followed at a distance. I've shared this with many of you before, that Peter followed at a distance. It was, it was, it was so Peter could still say he followed Jesus, but he followed on his terms. He could still say, he could still follow Jesus, but when somebody would say to Peter, hey, you're, you're a disciple of that Jesus guy, he could say, no, no, that wasn't me. And, and you know, he could still say he'd follow Jesus, but then when someone said another time, hey, you're one of those Galileans, he's like, no, no, that, that's not me. He followed Jesus, but far enough back, so even when a little girl says to him, you're a Galilean, you're one of Jesus' disciples, he's like, he, he basically swears at the girl and says, I'll be damned if I'm associated with that man. So like the 10 lepers who stood at a distance, like Peter who followed at a distance, it was on their terms, not Jesus' terms. Which makes me think, how often do I follow Jesus according to my terms and what accommodates me and what makes me feel comfortable, what makes me feel easy? So that's what happened. So he calls out, Jesus, Master, have pity on us in comparison to, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Now what happens with this is that when what the ten received was an instruction. They received an instruction. Their instruction, go show yourself to the priest. And while they're on their way, they're healed. That was pretty amazing. But you compare to what the guy in Matthew chapter 8 experienced. What did he experience? He experienced a touch from the Lord. He experienced a personal word. He experienced miraculous healing instantaneously. It says within Matthew chapter 8 that immediately he was healed. He experienced all of that. What did the 10 lepers get? I've got an instruction. I'll go. And on the way, they were healed then. Look at everything that they missed out on. They missed out on that personal word. They missed out on that personal instruction. They missed out on that personal touch from Jesus Christ. A lot of us as Christians miss out on what God wants to offer because, once again, we're standing in the distance trying to follow Jesus or desire from Jesus something on our terms and not on His. Okay? Now, I race through all of that 
Because from the instruction is what happens at the end. One of them, when he saw he was healed. One of them, when he saw he was healed. So he's on his way of the 10. One guy goes, wow, I'm healed. What does he do? He goes back. He goes back. He sees what has been done for him, and an appreciation turns around and moves. Now, this is what I find always very fascinating about the idea, uh, the idea of love. Love must be acted on and expressed for it to be genuine love. You cannot do, do anything else. You cannot sit there for, and I'm, oh, I know, I'm a parrot, and I see it over and over again. I'm sorry about this. But you cannot say you love your wife and not show it to your wife. You cannot say you love your kids and not show it to your kids. You cannot say you love your husband and not show it to your husband. If you say you love your wife and you're sitting on the couch, chilling, relaxing, maxing, sorry, sorry, that's Fresh Prince, I apologize. Okay, but when you're sitting down there chilling, when you're doing your thing, and your wife, she's slaving over, over, the, over the kitchen sink, she's cleaning the, cleaning the house, she's watching over the kids, and you're sitting there just going, yeah, well, hey, I've, I've done my bit. And then you say you love your wife and, leave your, and you let your wife hang out to dry like that? That's pretty harsh. I mean, you may love her, but is that a love on your terms or hers? Oh, my, one of my wife's great lines. I love, I love my wife. She, she's just so full of wisdom. But I remember one time she was telling me stuff, and I've told you this, and she tells me stuff, and, and, I, I, and being a guy, I, I prescribe my solution. Then let's just do this, 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 and this. Bam, sort it. She goes, you're helping me the way you want to help me. You're not helping me the way I need to be helped. And I'm like, <sighs> such wisdom. <laughs> Thanks, Craig. We'll, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> Craig, Craig, Craig's like this. Nice, nice. I noticed there's a seat in between you and your wife, okay? Okay, so. <laughs> okay. But it involves an action. I mean, what? John chapter 3. Oh, he's sitting next to Ash. Anyway, okay. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave. God so loved the world that he gave. God so loved the world that he gave. Love gives. Love has to give for it to be genuine love. Love gave. Not only did love give, his one and only son. God, love gives the best it can give. Because that's what God gave us in Jesus Christ. This is what Christmas is all about. Christmas is all about how God gave the best that he could offer for you and I to reap the rewards and the benefits of him becoming man for us. That's what, so this guy goes back. Not only, oh, what's it, James? James chapter 2.18. It talks about this. James, you know, you say you have faith and I have works. He goes, you show me your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. The reality of what I know to be true and what is true is demonstrated in how I live and in how I love. And that is what we see at Christmas time. It is the ultimate expression of God's love for you and I by when the eternal becomes into the temporal, where the divine takes on humanity, where the, where the eternal becomes immortal, 
where the, where the incorruption becomes a part of corruption. Not that he was corrupted, but he becomes a part of and immerses himself in corruption for you. That's amazing. That's something to be thankful for. But he comes back. What does he do next? Praises God in a loud voice. According to Psalm 19, we read about how the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament uh, you know, proclaims this handiwork. And it, you read in it, it talks about how it's, even though they don't have a voice, they proclaim loudly the sheer magnificence of who God is. There is power in praise. If you read Psalms 145 to 150, they are all psalms of praise. If you read the first two verses of every one of those psalms, you will read praise, praise, praise. That's what you will read. Praise 150 verse 2 says this. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. There is power in praise. You know why there is power in praise? Because when you praise, you have your eyes off yourself and upon him. That's why. When was the last time you praised God for something God has given, done, or provided for you? When you look at your husband and think, I praise God for you, honey. You're such a man. I praise, I praise God for my kids. I praise God for my job. I praise God for the house that I have, for the car that I drive. I praise God for the church I'm able to be a part of. You know, Lord, I praise you for the leaders I have within this church. I praise you for the cell group leaders that lead our Bible studies. Think about it. You count. I mean, what that old, that old hymn, count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, then one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. When you sit down and you dwell on and think of what is, everything that God has given you, then whatever the situation you're experiencing, you're like, wow. Christmas time is a time that reminds us of how much God loves us, and to praise Him for that. Think about that for a second. I want you to think about this. In Philippians chapter 2, we read about how God did not consider robbery to be equal with Him, but He didn't use it to His own advantage. So basically what it meant was that Jesus looked at it and said, I will lay my glory aside, veil myself in human flesh, be born in a manger to a human woman, conceived by the Holy Spirit, because I want Sue Ann to have the opportunity to know me as her God. Because I want Andrew to know me as his father. There's a song by Andy Minio, who's a, he's a Christian hip-hop artist, but there's this one line that I really like, and it said, where have you heard a story where the hero died for the villain? Because that is exactly what Jesus did for us. Where have you heard a story about that? Where the hero dies for the villain. So the villain could be considered one of his own. That's amazing because that was demonstrated to us in Jesus Christ. So the, the leper goes back and he prays God and then he throws himself at Jesus' feet. Look at the change of attitude. Where before, as part of the 10, he's out here saying, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now he is at the feet of of Jesus Christ saying, thank you. Thank you. And this, I think, is a really big, big thing to understand. Um, in Psalm, in Psalm uh, 51, 17, it says, a broken and a contrite heart you will not despise. And Jesus himself said uh, in, in John six thirty seven, he that comes to me, I will no wise cast out. Um, Nick, where's Nick? 
Nick, Nick, shared, Nick shared a verse, Isaiah 7, 14, okay, about how a, a, a virgin shall conceive and, and give birth. And it says, and his name shall be Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. God with us. Not God behind, not God in front. God with. That name, Emmanuel, represents the desire he has to be involved with us. Any relationship involves you being involved with another person. It might be making yourself vulnerable. It might be sacrificing some of yourself. You look at what Jesus Christ did and what God did, unveiling himself in human flesh, being born. That was him going to the greatest of lengths to be with us and to identify with us and the struggles that we encounter. And so we read then that when he goes back and throws himself at Jesus' feet, he thanks him. Now, this is why the act of thanksgiving when it comes to God is really Really quite interesting. Have you noticed how upset you get when people don't say thank you? Even in the car, when you let someone else in, and yeah, I, I always do it. I always, it's just that, it's, I don't know whether it's an Australian thing. I know we do it in New Zealand, not very well, but when you, when you cut in someone or someone lets you in, what do you do? You're like, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Have you ever been upset? Happened to me on the way here. Guy cuts in, like I back off a little bit, flick him in, you know, flash the lights. Come on in, bro. Come on in, bro. They come in, and then he's like, and I'm like, come on, dude. Come on, where's the hand, man? Where's the hand? Where's the hand? And he didn't give me the hand. And I'm like, oh. So I drove next to him. And I'm like, I know, it's pretty bad, eh? It shows how sinful I am, eh? Sinful man. Such a sinful man. Okay. But yeah, this is, imagine what sort of relationship you would have if somebody only ever asked of you without saying thanks. Imagine what sort of relationship you would have if all you're doing, if, if all it is, is, hey, Chris, can I have some money? Hey, Chris, can I have some food? Hey, Chris, can I get a ride? Hey, Chris, can you do something for me? Okay, and not once do I recognize that. Well, Chris is going to start doing that whole, oh, there's Joe. Yeah, let's, let's go away. Oh, let's, you start being that guy that people avoid. Don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. But this is what makes what this guy does so fascinating. Of the 10, he's the only one that goes back to thank him for what God has done for him in healing him and making him whole. R.A. Torrey said this. I don't know if I put it up there. Yes. In approaching God to ask for new blessings, we should never forget to return thanks for the blessings already granted. I'll read that again. And approaching God to ask for new blessings, we should never forget to return thanks for the blessings already granted. If we were to seriously think upon how many of our prayers have been answered, and yet how many of those prayers we've never actually given thanks for, when you think about it. We, we become, and please, I don't, I don't want to defend anybody or anything, we almost become that whole millennial attitude of where the expectation is, well, God will do it for me. God will provide for me. It's almost like, even, even this, we take for granted God's provision of this building. You know how, how I know that? Even by the way we look after it, maybe. We take for granted 
our Bible study leaders or our ministry leaders or even just our friendships thinking they'll be there or they'll do it. It becomes that expectation, not remembering that everything that we have right now has been given to us by God. We've been blessed. We have been blessed with people like Jimmy and Adley. We've been blessed with the guys on the AV team like Saeed and, and Birad. We've been blessed with people up in front doing the music. We've been blessed. And we forget, we forget that these people are provisions from God for us to join in worship of God together. We forget. We forget, we forget that we've been given a great and blessed message that can transform people's lives. We forget that we've been taken out of darkness and brought into light, and God has entrusted us with that same responsibility of taking that message to tell them that God loves you. That God at Christmas time became a man. That God, as a man, lived a perfect life and then died a death to pay a price that you and I couldn't pay. He, he died for my sin, my sin, and your sin. And he asked me to say, that's what I've done for you, Joe. And what's our response? Thank you. Thank you. There's one thing that uh, always, I always say to my kids. I always say to my kids. that Thank you almost has that same connotation as the word sorry. When people say sorry all the time. And my kids, when they say sorry, you know, if, especially when something is done over and over again, sorry, man. Sorry, Dad. Sorry, Mom. Sorry. My, my line is often, anybody who's at school when kids say, sorry, sorry, sorry. Sorry for talking in class. Sorry that I'm late. Sorry that I stole that money, whatever it might be. But I, and my, my response to them is, don't say sorry. Don't say sorry. That means nothing. Don't say sorry. It means nothing. You want to show you're sorry? Don't do it again. Don't do it again. Express, express how you really feel about it by not doing it again. I'd appreciate that. Thank you is very similar. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, bro. Thanks. Don't say it if you don't mean it. Thanks is demonstrated. Thanks is demonstrated by what you do with it. So, if at Christmas time we are told about what, what God has done for us, how much God loves us, what he was willing to do for us, and he says, He says, This is this is how much I love you. And we say, Thank you. It's not a thank you for us to sit here and enjoy the benefits of what we've received as being born again into the kingdom of God. To sit there and watch life go by and twiddle our thumbs as his children. No, thank you is demonstrated with now I'm going to live, not for myself, but for the calling and for the, what, what has been placed upon me as a child of God. You see, you look at this, this thing that happens because Jesus asks the guy, we're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise, go, your faith has made you well. And this is what I like about this, is the fact that that man received a personal word. That man received a personal interaction. That man received a direct involvement of the King of Glory himself to commission him to get up, and to go. And, and this, this is what he invites you and I to now. That in our submission to say thank you for what you have done for me at this time of year. Thank you for showing me how much you love me. 
Thank you that you've taken me out of darkness and brought me into light. Thank you that you've cleansed me of my sin. And then he says to me, Joe, rise and go. Not living for yourself anymore. Not living a self-absorbed attitude, but rather living for him who loved us and gave himself for us. So this Christmas time, I would encourage you to look honestly and openly and realistically at who Jesus is and what he has done, not only at this time at Christmas, but also at the time of Easter, of what he is doing, how he is calling people to himself, how, how, what he's going to do, how he's going to return and bring judgment, which means what do you know, who do you know, and do you want to know whether it's right or not? Last quote. God wants to see prayers that are filled with genuine praise and thanksgiving for what he has done in the past. He wants our hearts to be filled with awe and gratitude for his blessings. He wants us to set up memorials in our hearts testifying to the provisions he has given us. There is power in praise because it takes our eyes off ourselves and places it on him. This time at Christmas is the whole point of you understanding that you are in need of a Savior. We sang that this morning. We have a Savior. And so my encouragement to you is find out and get to know who the real Jesus is and how great his love is for you. So with that, I'm going to ask the music team to come up. We're going to sing one more song. And then I will close in prayer after that. We aren't, having a, um, we aren't having a morning tea afterwards. Come on up. I'll just keep talking while I wait for you. Uh, we, we aren't going to have a morning tea. We will have like cups of tea and coffee so you can sit down and talk. But I do know that families need to get back for like your, your big Christmas meal so you can stuff your faces and enjoy your food because that's the way to go, man. It's the way to go. Um, but yeah, so that's the first thing. So if you want to go, go. Enjoy, enjoy your family time. Enjoy Christmas time with other people. And um, yeah, but if you want to hang around, have a cup of tea and stuff, we would love to see you do that as well. And then I'll have one more announcement too.